Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing, and today, notable people from the world of the music industry. But first, a thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Farms. Based in Boquete, Panama, International Coffee Farms owns and operates 10 specialty coffee farms. These farms are subdivided into half-acre parcels. These half-acre parcels can be purchased for as little as 18000 U.S. dollars. Your land will be managed on your behalf and will be producing positive cash flow in perpetuity. I've gotten to know the principles of International Coffee Farms over the last several years, and they run a quality operation. Have a listen to episode 121 with CEO and founder, Mr. David Sewell, where we talk about investing in coffee farmland in a safe, diversified offshore investment. Find out more by visiting internationalcoffeefarms.com. That is internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back. We've got a great guest today. He's a musician. He's a songwriter. He's a producer and a real estate investor. Welcome to the show, Seth Mosley. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's great having you here as a guest speaker here at Music and Money and gave a fantastic presentation for our audience this morning. Well, thank you, Seth. You're a Grammy Award winning musician, producer. You've written a bucket load of songs, like 700 or more. And this is where you spend your time and your passion and your energy. But you're also a real estate investor. Talk about the interplay of those two. I mean, obviously, you're very focused on the music industry. How did real estate come into the picture? You know, we kind of backed into it, like probably a lot of your listeners, I would imagine, you know, don't set out to become real estate investors. You just figure out that real estate is a really great vehicle to place money and to grow wealth. Um, so for, for me, it's very much a side hustle. I wouldn't say that I'm overly passionate about real estate, though it is kind of the main thing in, in a sense. How I think about it is I want to spend my time, my hours, you know, you trade your dollar for hours, doing what is my highest and best use. I've found a good niche musically where I can add a lot to the industry and I can make a lot of money and help other artists make a lot of money doing that. So for me, the goal is always to take success there and, you know, turn that into something that creates lasting wealth for my family. And real estate has been the best vehicle that I know possible for that. So I really kind of backed into it, to be honest. We're here in a beautiful setting here, you know, here in Nashville, there's a lot of recording equipment all around us. And, you know, you can definitely feel the vibe that the music industry is at the core of so much here in the city. So many people that I run into are musicians, at whatever level they're at, whether they're teaching it to, to high school students or whether they're playing on stages to thousands of, of raving fans. It's just everywhere here in the city. And at the same time, there's a vibrant real estate play here in Nashville itself. I mean, the, the city's growing by leaps and bounds, 100 people a day coming into the city. So the population is growing. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you're seeing that feeling from boots on the ground perspective. Yeah. You know what? Well, I'll first start off by saying that, you know, something that you touched on in your talk was really inspiring to me because I, like a lot of our investors at Music and Money Investors Group have probably been, you know, keeping the money on the sidelines a little bit just for lack of, you know, we're not finding the deals. But in uh, Nashville's, you know, like many markets, a very hot market. It's really, really hard to find things with high return. But I loved what you said. You said we don't we don't find deals, we make deals. So that was really inspiring to me. And I think there's still a lot of opportunity for making deals, whether that's building more housing. Downtown Nashville has been at a massive shortage for hotels. 
and there are a lot coming in right now. There's a new JW Marriott going up. Richard Branson's got a tower going in, so that'll certainly help it. But when you go into a city and you cannot find a hotel for under $500 a night, you know there's probably a need. So tip for anybody listening, hotels in Nashville are very in demand, and that's a form of real estate. It is a form of real estate, and one of the things, a lot of the big brands typically still are building the monolithic hotels. The the condo hotel model, which is a little bit newer, is certainly more prevalent in some of the vacation destinations, uh, might be a very interesting way to build new product here, maybe have an interesting exit, separate the real estate from the operation, and there could be some opportunity to do some kind of mixed-use properties here in the downtown core. There's certainly large parcels of land that today are parking lots that could be ripe for development within uh, walking distance of some of the best attractions of the city. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're seeing, you know, you, you mentioned Brittany Turner being a a mover and a shaker in the Nashville market. She's been instrumental in doing a lot of the teardowns and rebuilds in, in East Nashville, which yep. is a really hot part of town. And so, yeah. yeah but it, it wasn't hot. I mean, when it she was started, not. It was not. It was kind of a, a no-fly zone. I mean, it really was. It was a place that you wouldn't go, let alone, you know, a really attractive woman in her in her early 20s to go into East Nashville and start tearing up the neighborhood. That was not what you would advise someone to do at all. Yeah, it was it was a little scary. I mean, I when you know, when I first moved to town, it's been, you know, 10 years ago, East Nashville was starting to become that, but it was largely, you know, fairly run down and not a place that you'd want to just definitely go walk around at night, you know. Exactly, exactly. But opportunity exists in that environment. And just like you said today, you know, you fi- find what that line is and just develop around it and then move the line. So that's really what's happened in Nashville. And it's continuing to happen to parts like North Nashville, Sylvan Park, Antioch uh, on the southeast side of Nashville has been a huge area for development. Um, so there's still a few of those and, and, and people, investors have been looking, you know, even South as far as Spring Hill, which is probably a decent 30, 40 minute drive from, from downtown. But you know, where else do people go? They, they go on the outskirts. Sure. Sure. Talk to us a little bit about the makeup of the group music and money. I know when we spoke, uh, last time you were on the podcast about helping other musicians, not just yourself, but other musicians, find a little bit more stable platform, financial platform, because obviously the music industry can be a little bit fickle. From time to time, you could be doing great one week and not so great the next. Talk a little bit about the makeup of the group and how it's evolved. Well, it was very organic. It was really at the beginning, you know, I had been investing in real estate and music, much like sports or any of those other type of ventures or the film industry. is very cyclical. It's very up and down. It's a roller coaster. You may have a hot four or five years and then nothing, you know, it just kind of tends, people have their runs. So I saw an opportunity to help friends of mine. Uh, I, I don't know why I've always had this passion, but just, I think the way that I grew up, I grew up, you know, in a family where work was very important. My dad was a hard worker, but it never seemed like there was kind of an, maybe an exit for that. And being a doctor, obviously, there's a, my dad had, had a passion for what he was doing, too. So it's kind of hard to separate those two at times. But um, for myself and for my family, I never want to be limited in life by a work schedule or a job schedule. I, I, I want to know that I have the financial freedom after having several years of a good run in the music business 
to do whatever it is that we feel like we're called to do in which largely a lot of that is just about helping people. And so for friends of mine in the music business, I've just seen people make such dumb decisions and go out and buy a Tesla or whatever. I'm not saying a Tesla is a bad investment, but well, why it's not an you? investment unless you're going to drive Uber with it. It's not yeah, an investment. It's not, it's a liability. So much like, yeah, good, 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 good catch there. But you know, go out and spend $120,000 on a, on a car. I'm like, the amount of real estate that you could be purchasing and generating return, let that go buy a car for you, you know? So it's just really helping my friends and caring about my friends. But I would say it's evolved beyond just musicians. And it's really not just about musicians. It's about anybody that is looking for financial stability in a place other than, you know, Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. Something you have control over. Exactly. Are there particular asset classes that you're focused on? You know, investors develop a bit of a personality in terms of what is the sweet spot for them. Is there a particular asset class that you've gravitated towards? You know, for me so far, it's just been kind of the bread and butter residential. We've done a little bit of multifamily. I really like residential multifamily. You know, a lot of the inventory has been bought up and there's not just not a lot of great value add opportunities around Nashville. So you know, really interested in looking into some potential new construction opportunities and, and um, kind of looking in the development world, which I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you a question on, on sure. your podcast, but one of the things that I thought of as we were talking about this morning is you're always looking for, and we're hearing about, okay, we're on the on the verge of another recession, on another downturn. And the long-term people holding real estate never really get hit by that. It doesn't affect them, but the developers and the builders often are the ones that take the brunt of that? Well, it depends. So what what happens is if their entire business case was built on the assumption of the run continuing, and let me try and answer it this way, where a lot of developers run into trouble is if they're over leveraged, number one. So for example, if you leverage land and your development is delayed by a couple of years, maybe because demand drops off, maybe because city is is slow in giving you approval for your entitlements, Whatever the reason, land doesn't cash flow. And so they can often get over leveraged by not structuring their affairs correctly. If, on the other hand, if you buy the land purely out of equity, okay, your investors might be a little bit unhappy with you because now things have taken longer, but you haven't squandered their investment. It's still there. It's it's dirt. It's inherently holding its its intrinsic value, assuming you didn't pay too much for it. it, it a lot of it has to do with structure. I'm a big fan of investing in recession-resistant asset classes. I like multifamily for that. I like student housing for that. I'm not a fan of retail. I'm not a fan of office. I do like medical office. That's the one exception. But generally speaking, I don't like office. Because think about it. How many people do you know have a home office and work from home? Pretty much 50% of the people that I know. Right. And if you go back to the 1970s, could you say that? The answer is no. Definitely not. Definitely not. So globally, the demand for the traditional office is falling. And we see that with the growth of some of these other co-working type spaces, whether it's Regis or WeWork and all of these other businesses that are gobbling up millions of square feet. We see those businesses as growing, but in reality, the demand for office is actually falling. So there is going to be excess capacity in that asset class. That, that's a given. Same thing in retail. We've seen thousands and thousands of store closures across the nation. You, you only need 15, 20% vacancy in that asset class for the bottom to fall out of that market. 
It's not that those other stores are going to go away, but when you have that much vacancy, those landlords start to get desperate and they will drop their price in order to get it filled at any cost because a vacant retail space is costing them money each and every day. It's not the same in multifamily. If I have a vacancy in a multifamily building, okay, I'll fill it in 30 days, maybe 60 days. If I have a vacancy in a retail space, if I have 60 or 100,000 square feet of vacant retail space, I'm not going to fill that in a month. I might not fill that in two years. And that's a lot of space. So it's a very different market dynamic, very different, where those types of opportunities can translate. Let's say you have a shopping mall that's dying. Maybe that land can be repurposed for a very large-scale residential development close to an urban center. It's very difficult to reassemble a piece of land that large. So maybe buying an asset like that at the bottom of the market for pennies on the dollar and using that as a land strategy for redevelopment, maybe that can be a great way to go. But that's not for today. That'll be a market bottom discussion at some point in the future. Good answer. Sorry, I don't. I, I didn't mean to ask you a question on your no, own podcast. No, 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 no. That's mind, perfectly right? fair. I mean, you know, <laughs> what I like is the conversation here because you know I feel very much like we're kindred spirits here. We've both spent some time actually in the music industry uh, from a completely different perspective. I started out as a sound reinforcement engineer, uh, working with a lot of bands and touring uh, early, which I just learned today. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, very fun part of my career. Uh, so you know, d- definitely feel a strong connection to the music industry musician in fact even in my house you know if you walk into our house where there should be a living room you know we've got an acoustic drum kit a grand piano three guitars a bass guitar like it's we're all set so that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) i love it and certainly the the community here in nashville has has created a a vibe a certain energy around that in fact we've got the country music awards coming up later this week yeah this is cma week this is a big week in nashville so we've Got some of my uh, company, Full Circle Music, are up there at a lot of the showcases, meeting you know industry people, meeting other artists, and uh, it's a great it's a great week for the country music industry to come together. Absolutely, the town is absolutely buzzing. I can feel the energy here, and uh, so I definitely wish you all the best for the rest of the week here. I know there's going to be a lot of great things happening for you, so uh, look forward to reconnecting again, uh, whether it's here at Music and Money, perhaps at a future Investor Summit at Sea. And uh, thanks so much for joining us, Seth Mosley. Thanks for having me. For the listeners, have a great rest of your weekend. Definitely catch the Country Music Awards on TV or perhaps catch the replay on YouTube. In the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend. Make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 